Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Welcome to the PI World interview recorded on the 15th of December 2021. I'm your host, Tamsin Freeman, and today I'm delighted to be joined by the very popular Richard Leonard, who co-runs the family office, Trium. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. No, it's nice to be back, Um, especially given the recent experience I had myself with covid um, earlier in, uh, in in November. So it's, it's great to be back uh, with my feet under the table, so to speak. Well, we're thrilled to see you back in one piece and, and fighting and ready to go. So how have you found the year to date? Have you been well positioned and what sort of performance have you achieved? Yes, I mean, I, I listened briefly to Andy Bruff's uh, interview last week uh, and very much, you know, first half driven um, period for outperformance and and then you know falling away quite dramatically through the second half you know and so if you look at the the year as a whole um you know I split it um first half second half uh, you know like Andy you know reflected on and in the first half you know my performance was very strong against a market that was FTSE wise was up sort of nine ten percent um and actually FTSE's continued to move higher uh, and again I would agree with Andy Bruff you know there is value in the FTSE without doubt. Um, so my performance gathered in the first half in a really positive way. Um, I was up maybe just over 40% when I look at my pension funds, which are the easiest thing to measure, um, but for you know on a like-for-like basis. Um, but then in the second half, you know, things got, have become a lot tougher. And, and in the second half, I'm actually net down. Um, and partly because I've not been um, as fluid as I normally uh, can be with regards of holdings that I buy and sell. And, and there were a number of holdings that I really suffered from um, at the top of the table, so to speak, as well. And remember, I run pretty focused, concentrated portfolio, generally up to a maximum of 16 holdings. And, you know, some of my bigger holdings rolled off, and, and, and but I'm sticking with them, um, most of them except one, which we'll touch on through the through the, through the chat, um, and so my performance has been mixed with the roller coaster of the year we've had um, in terms of the themes and trends. My biggest loss, absolute loss this year, um, has been Synthoma. As an industrial cyclical, it of course enjoyed the, the real kick through um, of what was going on in the world. Um, you know, incredibly well diversified business. Um, you know, chemical um, polymers, etc. Um, resins and the like that find themselves into paints and um, the uh, uh, paper and packaging, um, oil and gas, you know, incredibly well diversified by product and by vertical, um, but also on a geographic basis uh, as well. Um, and they have acquired exceptionally well as well with a really fantastic management team. Now, partly that management team has said, oh, well, you know, the, the people at the top, both the the CEO and finance director decided that they wanted to go back to VC world um, because they got paid more, probably for choice. I'm, I'm being maybe a little bit unfair, and they've done a brilliant job and they'd acquired well. The balance sheet was was decently indebted, but the cash flow characteristics and the debt repayment was coming back in spades and driven out of their nitrile uh, 
business, that the, the latex gloves and PPE, and of course, massive beneficiary of COVID. And the market sort of somewhat discounting that as that growth pulled through. Um, and at the same time, that management issue, and then questioning how good can it get in terms of the, the cyclical recovery following 2020, 21, and ultimately into 2022. And so the beginning of the year, when I was starting to buy the stock, uh, and it was one of my best performers in the first half, I think the share price was probably around the 450 mark, um, and it topped out at probably around the 550 mark. Since which time management have, have moved on, new management come in, have come in. But the, 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 uh, the team that runs um, the area that they've just recently added to, which is the adhesives area, which finds its you know, natural way into the construction arena, et cetera, which I still think has further to run. They bought a very big business in the States from Eastman's, an adhesive business. They bought it for good, for good value, in my view. Um, and then they were, the, the balance sheet had been replenished with great cash flow from the nitrile division, uh, the latest glove side, which the market rightly so was going to be discounting in profit terms. And then they were adding to a new, uh, um, uh, they were adding to the, the, the adhesives division in real size. Uh, and they issued new paper equity. Um, about two hundred million pounds at the end of October. Early Did October, you take part in that? Yes, yes, in uh, both PA and uh, on a private basis, and here at Trium, uh, and we backed the deal because the deal really added up earnings enhancing to the tune of six seven percent for next year, um, and, and more importantly, the year out near a fifteen. Um, making great synergy cost savings, taking huge dollops of working capital out. We thought as much as $150 million, which would help finance the transaction on top. So as a specialist chemicals, sort of polymers uh, business, uh, incredibly well diversified, I believed had a really good runway for ongoing earnings upgrades. And, and I did also believe that the nitrile uh, um, a glove side um, would continue to do well as well. As it turns out, you know, additional capacity coming on board, raw materials pushing up, and ultimately that new, you know, the supply demand uh, balance was changing the pricing mechanics there. And so there was a uh, in late November, uh, early December, Morgan Stanley put a double downgrade through. What do I mean by by an analyst? What do I mean by double downgrade? Well, one, he downgraded his numbers twenty percent below the market consensus and two he went from a buy to a sell and at that point the sentiment in the stock just turned upside down um, they issued stock at 485 to, uh, to to supplement this new acquisition in the adhesives area um, and uh, that was at 485 um, the share price topped out i think recently at about 520 i was reasonably comfortable with it at that point as you can imagine because i participated in the raise as well um, but then the cyclical headwind starting to you know, take effect. And we've certainly seen illiquidity in the market on top. And just before the announcement of that downgrade by the Morgan Stanley analyst, the shares were around the 475, 480. And in a, in a day, the stock was down 50 p, uh, 50p on a Monday morning. And at the moment, if you want to try and transact in reasonable numbers, uh, whether you're Schroders with Andy Braff or whether you're BlackRock or Fidelity or, or any of the big houses, liquidity in the London market and especially in the mid cap and the, and the small cap area, never mind about the micro, 
you know, th there is, there is, you know, at the moment that the, the shop is closed for liquidity, and we're in Q4. We've gone into December. It's incredible, incredibly difficult to transact, and it will thaw. It will loosen itself up. Um, but we're probably almost certainly going to have to wait for the new year. With Synthoma, it was, it's been my biggest absolute loss um, for the year. Do you um, think the downgrades are fair? I mean, do you agree with them or do you think they've been uh, overdone? I mean, it's unusual to issue a sell note. Yes, I mean, I, th I think it was the first time Morgan Stanley had written on the subject for two years, which tells you the inactive, inactivity of certain houses in terms of rising amount of stocks. I think the cyclical headwinds are evident, um, especially in the latex gloves sort of uh, nitrile division. Um, I don't think they're being given the benefit of the doubt with regards to the other side, the other divisions, like you know, and the spread of their business and the cash flow that comes out. And actually, on a valuation basis, with those numbers upgraded for 2022 and 2023, six, seven, eight percent, depending on the analyst, for for next year and the year after, nearer 15. Now we'll have to see about the headwinds. Um, you know, this COVID variant, new COVID variant, has somewhat changed the equation. Um, and the, the restrictions that are um, um, almost certainly coming in to the Western world are certainly coming into the UK as we speak in front of Christmas. You know, will be a hindrance to 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 Synthoma and, and their uh, their recovery pattern that they were seeing across their end markets. When that um, downgrade came and it was really hitting yes. your position, what yes. was your response to that? Because presumably you hadn't sold down any. You'd been buying all year. So what did you then do? It was actually my largest holding. Um, and, and, and I had some sympathy with the, um, the cyclical argument of, of those end markets. Um, and in particular on, on the nitrile uh, uh, latex glove side of their business. Um, but that was, always, that was always known and it was somewhat factored in. Um, Valuation-wise, incredibly cheap. But going back to that liquidity point that we talked about, I just thought, my goodness, you know, whether even though this is a two billion market cap stock, I know what liquidity is like. And right now, you know, if you swing, if sentiment swings against a stock because of that illiquidity, you know, and it was my biggest holding, I just thought sentiment's going to change here, and it's going to change rapidly. Now, on the day of the downgrade, on a Monday morning, brilliantly timed, by the way. Got to congratulate Morgan uh, Stanley for that. Although my understanding is they they hardly did a share, uh, you know, in terms of the the, the, the trading uh, performance that day. For, and the shares traded heavily. They traded heavily uh, on that downgrade, twenty percent below consensus. So I I didn't have a huge amount of sympathy with that, um, but it clearly made an impact on the share price. So as we sit now, given the upgrades that other analysts have put through on the acquisition, which remember they did raise equity at, at £4.85. Before I came into the room, I noticed the share price was below three ninety. Um, so it's been absolutely brutalised. It trades on around eight times PE next year. That's a 12.5% um, earnings yield. Synthoma is sensitive to the economic cycle, without doubt, very well spread exceptionally well run um, and it trades now on, a, on, a, on an, EP, uh, an EV EBITDA sort of cash flow multiple. Uh, it trades on around six times which is just ludicrously cheap with a yield of around four and a half. So you're being paid to own it. Uh, so I stopped selling 
around the sort of 420, 430 mark. Why did I sell? Well, one, I, I could see that, you know, the pendulum has swung. I was getting concerned of cyclicality. I had a, some sympathy with that. Uh, and it was just portfolio management. I still own a lot of Synthome. I still, you know, it's still, you know, in the top four holdings that I have. And on that type of valuation, which is a yardstick, I really do use a lot. Um, I, I think it's too cheap to sell now. But it has been my worst stock performer in absolute terms by some measure. Um, and, and I need to kick myself and remind myself about cyclicality. However, on that type of valuation and that type of cash flow and, and running yield, dividend running yield, I'm, uh, I'm sitting tight now. Uh, at some point, I probably need to be brave and, and add. Um, but I didn't have the foresight. And this is the point. This is where the real mistake was. I didn't have the foresight to sell when I'd made decent money in the first half. Remember, I said that earlier, it touched £5.50. I'd been buying it at 460 pounds earlier on in the year. And, you know, round of applause, Richard Leonard. However, in the second half, it, you know, it took me off by the knees. Uh, and, I, and I've decided I'm not going to send Morgan Stanley's analyst a, a Christmas card. <laughs> so let's, by um, contrast, talk about what's gone really well this year. What did you get absolutely right? Well, when I look at my portfolio, the 16, and I went back and looked at this and attributed it, you know, I've told you where my biggest loss has been. Um, the other one, which we'll touch on later, maybe has been made. So Synthoma and Made. And actually, I talked about Made the last time we spoke. Um, so I looked at portfolio and, and, and again, I, I, you know, it's good to be self-critical and I should have been more patient, you know, because I found a winner. I found a winner. And that winner wasn't a nine-month, one-year winner. Um, it was, in my view, it's a two-year, three-year winner. But I've sold it. Uh, it's Polar Capital. And if you remember, Polar, it, it brilliantly run, uh, well diversified. Um, the business is still progressing well. It's still too cheap in valuation terms. Why did I sell it? I clearly sold it because I thought I had a better idea. Uh, and what was that idea? Probably, probably, you know, almost certainly Synthoma in the first half where I congratulated myself and then didn't consider and think about the uh, cyclicality. Whereas Polar is a structurally um, uh, well-balanced business, uh, structurally because, you know, the, the assets under management continue to grow, one with their platform of well-diversified ver uh, verticals in different areas. Um, you know, driven in particular out of their technology uh, equities team, uh, which has been an outstanding performance. When I first started buying this stock uh, back in the early middle of the uh, 2020, um, the stock was trading on, you know, nine, 10 times earnings with a great yield, great balance sheet, had assets under management of around 15 billion. The assets under management today are 25. This is organically grown. They're not buying businesses. They're bringing in teams and then nurturing them and then building them. And they've done that exceptionally well over the last 20 odd years. I'm close to management. I've got a brilliant chief exec, you know, the Hauptfeld, Hambrose, and the finance director, John Mansell, you know, strategically very savvy. Um, I sold it and I was wrong to sell it um, because, as I say, diversified across their platform. Their emerging stars business that they bought in sort of two years ago is now starting to hum. Made a, you know, should still be owning it. What, what I've learned this year, Richard Lennon needs to be a bit more patient, run the winners, 
uh, and not diversify. Uh, difficult to diversify when you only have 16 holdings, but I did a bloody good job, you know, by um, by buying Synthoma and then not realising the cyclical headwinds were changing. In particular, the question mark over interest rates and inflation, and now we've got to consider as well. So we're sort of going in a in a in a in a negative loop at the moment. This marketplace has got a wall of fear to climb in the near to medium term, and we've got to find businesses that have got decent market position, can grow, have good cash flow and and are the right value um, to make money from. And I shouldn't have sold Polar. So with Polar, what valuation do you think is fair for it? What PE do you think Um, you'd set for it? Yeah, it it does have performance fees that go through the P&L. Those will be decently down this year because of, you know, you can't keep repeating the sort of performance numbers that the technology team had in particular. But there's a broad base there. Um, I, I would value the, the business on, on core earnings and if you, you know, i.e. Uh, under assets under management. And on that basis, I think the stock's probably worth £9, which, if you remember, was always my target price. So, and what so did Richard you sell out at? Probably about similar levels here now, actually. Okay. Probably okay. similar levels as they are now. But, of course, I wouldn't have those, you know, if I hadn't built sort of, such a big, big holding in Synthoma. Your top of your portfolio is always going to be where you make your money. The bottom of your portfolio historically is where you get whiplashed. Um, But you will make your money when you attribute your performance. And I don't care if you're running 16 holdings like Richard Leonard or the 240-odd that Schroeder's run up the road. Generally, you know, when you go and do your absolute um, performance numbers in terms of attribution, it will be always the higher-weighted holdings that you have and I just simply had too many synthoma. Um, Talk us through MAID because they did have issues with uh, Vietnam logistics. Yes they did and and if you remember they they initially they initially warned the market um, around gross margin and and this was this is a, a, a uh, a very strong company in terms of understanding their end markets. They operate brilliantly in the UK and they've expanded aggressively in places like France and Germany. Um, and they started to see those pains and they reported it to the market in the autumn with regards to the cost that it would imply, you know, that it was going to ensue for them through, through the second half. I believe they dealt with it really well at the beginning. Um, I started looking at this after the flotation, which I thought was a poor flotation. I think that you know it got syndicated, you know, in terms of the people that owned it um, uh, very poorly by uh, J.P. Morgan and, and Morgan Stanley, and that made us look at it because we believed this was a quality name, it was a quality story, um, and that the management team in particular understood the digital marketing space particularly well. But additionally to that, fantastic product. Uh, and design, and, and as a consequence, they were going up against easy competition. Who, who do I refer to? I refer to um, I refer to the likes of uh, John Lewis, the department stores. So there was real opportunity to take market share. Now, to be fair to them, they've continued to take market share, and the top line has grown this year by around forty percent. But they initially warned on supply chain costs. They've now come to the market late in the year, which isn't great, by the way, by any means. They then warned on deferred orders. What do I mean by that? Well, the orders have come in, fantastic performance, you know, to grow your top line by 40% in a marketplace that's incredibly difficult. 
but they then ended up with supply issues and 15 to 20 percent of their product in effect wasn't on offer because they couldn't get hold of it and it came from places like india initially um, and it came from vietnam incredibly well diversified supply base over 200 suppliers all around the world and their model is fantastic as well in terms of negative working capital going out and attaching yourself you know in terms of uh, uh, cost of acquisition in terms of the consumer they run a very very efficient story and they've continued to bring in customers so in 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 fairness to to made they've pretty much done what they said at the top line but they've now got deferred orders of that will roll into next year so there's a recognition of revenue issue about 35 million so they warned secondly on that point of lack of product being able to do to be delivered and so there's a deferral as they as they referred it to of around 35 million 40 million of revenue which has cost in ebitda terms cash flow terms about 12 to 15 million pounds but what they have done well is that they're getting better product innovative product quirky design as as my uh, daughter who's an interior designer would say um and they've continued to take market share against the likes of the john lewis's of the world etc and they've continued to add to their customer base improve their referral rates improve their repeat orders gone into new markets and grown but when you've got the hurdles of the supply chain and i don't care who you are you know, look at ASOS have warned uh, across the piece whether, you know, but what you do see is that scale retailers have done significantly better. And retailers that have got, you know, better command of their supply chain, um, you know, maybe because they're outsourced, maybe because they manage it incredibly well. And, and, and that look at the food retailers. What an amazing job they've done. Look at AB Foods, which is a, a, a one of those, cheap stocks in the FTSE that I actually own as well, um, you know, relative to Primark. Although Primark's only now accelerating out of lockdown because they're starting to open. Uh, they may have to close, however, um, although I don't think they will, relative to the restrictions that we we'll see with this new uh, COVID variant. Um, so made uh, basically, one, they warned on costs of the supply chain, negative, and two, they then highlighted that there was a, a deferral of orders to the amount I've just mentioned, although still hitting uh, uh, forecasts for the year as a whole, but with a deferral of turnover, which has gone into next year. The valuation seems quite high. It's not profit making and they haven't hit the revenue figures that they had promised when they IPO'd. How do you feel about the valuation now in the current situation? Well, in the first place, had those deferrals not taken place, they would have hit their revenue numbers. And that's but they why did the take price, place. Yeah, but it did play, take place. But that's almost certainly why um, the share price didn't fall aggressively on the day they um, highlighted those deferrals. Um, that's the first point. The second point is, you know, you've got revenue growth here of 20, 25%, if not more. And that's what you've got to look forward to um, for, for 2022, 2023, as they get the scale benefits that come through. Again, I've got to be honest, I rarely invest in a loss-making business. But this is a disruptor. It's been incredibly well managed through its VC life. And I just simply believed in the story. I still believe in the story. However, 
you know, you, you're going to question mark that uh, growth aspiration that the forecasts have for 2022-23. And at the same time, Tamsin, you, you're spot on. You know, this business isn't profitable today. Um, has it been? Has, has its profits been deferred? We're going to have to wait and see. But if they get the scale benefits through, and in particular the scale benefits with regards to their marketing and the cost of acquisition, which one broker, let's say, Lieberman believes will halve, and yet one broker believes it, it won't, uh, Peel Hunt, that it will be at around these sorts of levels, um, as we speak, about £15 a, a, a ticket. Um, now, hang on a moment. If that's the case, and, and I've gone and you know interrogated those numbers from Peel Hunt, you know, who sim- actually have very similar revenue numbers. What this company is definitely doing is winning market share. What this debt company is definitely doing is bringing in additional comp- uh, customers. And therefore, repeat orders are key. Um, and that scale point that I make is key as they move to profitability. If, for said sake, the Peel Hunt analyst is right, then you know the EBITDA margins aren't going to be 12%, 13%. They're going to be near a sort of six and a half, seven. But he's still got well over a billion of revenue in 2025. Well, that would be 75-ish million EBITDA uh, um, uh, cash flow. And, and at 75 million, I'd be happy to value that on 12-ish, maybe even 15 times EBITDA in 24, 25. If you discount that share price back to a market cap of less than 500 million and the business has got approximately 160 million sitting on its balance sheet, of which we think 120 is their own. So they've got the firepower to build this business out. They've got the know-how to build this business out. And to be fair to them, they have continued to take customer win, uh, share wins and they've continued you know, to, to innovate product and offer more product but with a supply chain issue, which we've got to understand and and believe in because it's happened to so many companies. And if you go and look at the the Delta variant, what happened across Asia in particular, starting off in India and pretty much finishing in Vietnam, you know, Vietnam pretty much closed down. Um, Luckily, they've got a very diversified, um, diversified supply base. So has it hurt? Yes. Did you sell any before the warning no. or as it warned no. or have you sold no. any throughout? We, we trade, we, we've been trading at Trium in the stock, but I didn't have a huge weighting in it. Um, why did I not have a huge weighting in it? Was because at the very point you've made, it's a, lo- it's a loss maker. Mm. Um, but it's a loss maker that I believe will grow into profits aggressively uh, as a disruptor with a fantastic brand and against you know, a, a, a market with very poor competition growing in the geographic areas, you know, which I believe, again, offer real opportunity. So, yes, look, I've been knocked in terms of my confidence for made. Of course I have. But it wasn't a huge holding in portfolio. Um, But when you invest at a share price of 175 uh, and you put 4 or 5% of it in in your portfolio and it falls as much as it has, you know, down to sort of the 125p mark, yeah, that hurts. 
But you have done well this year. You know, you started at the, well, you reached at the top 44% up. I think you're, what did you say you were? 20% up now or something like that? No, I'm, I'm probably about 30. In totality, I'm, I'm, I'm about 33% up. Which is fantastic. So where's that come from? I'm going to give myself a B minus or a B. <laughs> I've made mistakes. Um, but yes, my, my portfolio, if you remember, my, my, uh, my first half I was up over 40%, uh, about 42.5%. And the, in the second half, I'm down around seven and a half, eight. So, um, you know, clearly you know, the, the, the winds of change um, occurred through those supply chain issues, through the expectation of interest rates go, uh, going up, uh, monetary policy. And ultimately, um, this COVID variant, you know, has in particularly affected small cap, mid cap. And that's where the majority of my money is. My best performer, funny enough, strangely enough, is reach. Um, and yet that story has been incredibly volatile. The, the one thing I did do well and was very disciplined about was it was my biggest holding at the start of the year. It continued to be my biggest holding through the year um, and, and, and boosted by significant, decent upgrades through the first half and early second half. Uh, I think there were at least uh, there were three, four upgrades on the stock. And in the beginning of the year, the expectation was around the 32p mark for earnings this year, um, and, and they will finish at around 37p. Um, what I did well was it ended up, at, because of the acceleration of the share price um, and the performance, I ended up um, around 30% of portfolio. Well, that, that concentration risk is just simply too high. Um, and, and as it entered the mid-250, you had the technical uh, push on the share price in terms of supply and demand, um, it took the share price significantly higher towards the, you know, the £4, as much as £4.20. And so on that basis, although I was having all the upgrades and enjoying a great share price, because of my weighting portfolio, I was clever enough and sensible enough, I got something right this year after all, um, was to take profits. And I did take profits aggressively. I halved the holding uh, at around the £4 mark. Um, and that, you know, that banks some decent profits. So that's my best performer in portfolio. Interestingly, the share price has come back, rattling back. Um, and partly because of that technical unwinding, we're going into the mid 250. And we often see this. So, you know, private investors keep an eye when it goes into the 250 or go into a new index. You will almost certainly see a spurt of activity in the share price, which will take them either way because of course remember stocks can be demoted as well and you've got to keep an eye on that and, and that's what i did um now since that time reach has done nothing but be successful and its underlying performance you know at an operating level what do i mean by that well the story for if you remember the investment case was always that jim mullen and his team uh, with a fantastic ft simon fuller was transforming this business away from legacy print and done it superbly into online digital media. Um, and actually anything attached to uh, the digital world in the UK from the summer have been really difficult. So whether you're digital media or digital retailer, there's been some really underperformance. And that got hindered almost certainly by the technical I've just mentioned of it going into the 250. But the trade and update we got in late November, 23rd of November, highlighted the strength of this story. 
the digital online strategy continuing to work, actually even to the point where they beat expectation on revenue. And they beat expectation on revenue both in the recovery from the legacy print side circulation as we came out of COVID lockdowns and, set, and, and outperforming expectation there. And secondly, they outperformed on the digital side and driven by the investment into content, which has been outstanding. And remember this transformation story that Jim Mullins put together is to, you know, from taking away from the print circulation into the new world of digital with a subscription type model. And again, that's been successful. Eight million now into his reach ID, over 42 million eyeballs, and he's able to monetize that in a significantly better way. Do we know the revenue split between the um, print side and the digital side? Yeah, it's about it's about twenty five percent now. Twenty between twenty and twenty five percent digital um, advertising, which has got significantly superior margins, going towards the thirty percent mark. In my view, over the next two three years, they've got an aspiration. I think they beat it, uh, depending on the performance of print. Uh, uh, circulation, they've got a, a, an aspiration for 2024, 2025 to be half uh, uh, digital advertising. And what's the I margin on both yeah. sides? Uh, difficult to untangle um, for choice, but at a group level, it runs at about 23.5%. The problem with the share price when they announced their uh, uh, trading update in late November, 23rd of November, was they highlighted cost increases. You tell me a corporate that hasn't had cost increases, whether it's wages or in this case, it was print pricing, print, print uh, pricing, paper, um, which is circulation. Well, in, you know, in, in the next 10 years, that's not going to be the biggest factor. Saying all of that, though, what I didn't measure particularly well was when I read it, I thought, OK, and I sort of made a finger guess that it would be around the four or five million mark. It's actually the headwind is more than that. So they're hot, they're, the, the headwinds on costs um, ensured that they didn't get the upgrade that I expected. If you go back to what I said in the summer, I thought this company would do around 39 pence of earnings. They will end up doing 37, 37 and a bit. We've had four upgrades. I performed very well with the stock. I, you know, I took significant profits through the summer months. Thankfully, I did. It gave me the firepower to buy back, and I'm buying back. I'm buying a lot back um, because I sit on a company that I really believe in, Transformation, a transformational story. Um, it will take margins higher. It's, a, it's, more, it's, it's capital light with regards to the digital side of their business. It's enhanced margins because they're adding real value into the advertising arena. Um, they're owning their own customer base with their reach ID. He's doing all the right things and more. The stock trades on, um, wait for it, the stock trades on six and a half times. Now, but there's a big pension deficit. Yes, you've got to take that into account. You've also got to take into account that there's cash on the balance sheet, 60 million-ish next year. I think it will be near 100. So this is a market cap. There's 313 million shares in issue. You know, you can do the maths. You know, this stock is just simply too cheap. About a 3% yield. Let's go back to the pension fund. Well, well as interest rates rise and inflation rises, that deficit because of the actuarial accounting principles, will vanish. I think it will vanish like now. Um, so on that basis, yes, it's, it's, but it's a big liability. 
what I haven't mentioned about REACH earlier, and which I am now more and more convinced of, um, and so one, the valuation convinces me that I want to buy it now. But actually, remember, I'm also, I also own uh, National World, where I've made good money. But National World, I think, close, you know, got close to 40p. I've not sold a share, but I've got a very small holding in a similar way to made. Why? Because of its size of market cap. And I got taught that uh, in, in the 90s as a young fund manager, always sort of weight your holding relative to liquidity and market cap. And so I didn't really buy a lot of uh, National World, um, but they are in a very similar position um, in terms of a transformational story. Also, simply too cheap, 16 million in net cash, they'll be using some of that cash, the uh, National World. Um, and I had lunch with uh, Montgomery, the chief exec, David Montgomery. He's a real steward of the sector, very different to Jim, uh, Jim Mullen of, of, of Reach. Um, but I believe these two will be consolidators. So on that basis, I believe the scale benefits, we've not even touched the surface yet. And I suspect the strength of, of, of Reach's balance sheet and the cash flow that Reach enjoys from its business, both on the traditional print side uh, and, and more importantly, going forward, the digital side will allow him to be the consolidator. And if you do your work, you'll, you'll probably realise where I'm coming from. I think there's a very good opportunity to see significant further consolidation in this sector. And are there any other holdings that you already held, that not new holdings, that you think are going to move the dial next year? Um, I'm, I'm, look, uh, briefly, uh, last last year in, in, in August, I recommended Ultimate Products. Still a big fan of the company, brilliantly run, probably up with events. I don't own it today. I also uh, remember um, Dull but, but Worthy, McFarland, done a brilliant job. Um, you know, and being a big beneficiary of the structural online game, brilliantly run by a guy called Peter Atkinson, um, sort of up with events in valuation, though. Uh, Don't you think the forecasts are a little bit uh, skinny by comparison with what they'll do? Yes, they've always been incredible. It's a great question. They've always been incredibly prudent, and that's that's the style. Uh, and you and, and and actually, if you don't get a small upgrade, I'd slightly panic. Um, I, I don't own McFarland right now um, because, but when I, just simply because um, I was trying to find other companies that I could, you know, put my monies into, and I didn't build a big enough holding relative to the share price performance you know you know i want to buy stocks to make money uh, and if it flies away from me in share price terms then i'm going to be restricted at how many i can buy now interestingly going back to reach i quite like falling share prices as long as i'm confident of what i'm investing in um, because i can buy more you know that warren buffett highlights that you know falling share prices are a good thing if you want to buy more uh, and that's what i'm doing with reach at the moment with mcfarland it just Run away from me. I, I, you know, I introduced the idea of Devro last year, the collagen uh, edible uh, collagen business. Um, I, I'm still a fan, a bit too much debt, uh, and more exciting things to own. And, and I did own it uh, for about uh, nine months. But actually, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, um, I convinced myself that we wouldn't get more upgrades, um, and we haven't. And so, you know, earnings progression, earnings momentum, as we've learned with Reach, actually, because we didn't get that earnings 
upgrade in November and the share price has been absolutely clattered. Um, and next year, though, we're going to we now see headwinds for all corporate profits um, because of the you know cost inflation that you're seeing in wages, which will be sticky in my view with power uh, generation, fuels, etc. Um, and going forward, you've got higher taxation rates as well. Uh, so running at a pace, I've got to actually talk about one stock that I just absolutely, I don't think I'll ever sell it. I don't and think which is that? Well, it was my Christmas stock last year. Um, and it's Bloomsbury. You know, it's one of my favourite companies. And Bloomsbury is just incredibly well managed in, in terms of uh, Nigel Newton's um, uh, passion for the business. But his attachment into the publishing world to the authors. And one of their authors has actually just won the Nobel, Nobel Prize for Literature. What an outstanding performance. That's not the first time that one of his authors has won. He had one in the early 90s as well. And, of course, you've got the Harry Potter franchise. You've got an incredibly well-diversified list of authors that all seem to be doing exceptionally well. It sort of reminds me, really, of the, of the stock selection of, of, of Polar with their fund managers. You know, he's built an incredibly well-diversified uh, uh, base there with his authors, both on the academic side as well, the, the, the non-fiction and the fiction. And combined with that, you know, on the academia side, he's got this wonderful platform that is absolutely knocking the lights out in terms of profitability and into the universities, which is a bit like a Taylor, now, uh, Taylor Francis lookalike. And they've got a partnership with Taylor Francis as well. I need to get a, a better up understanding and update from Nigel Newton on that. But it's not expensive. Uh, it's got net cash on the balance sheet. It paid a special dividend last year. Part of that was, I suspect, a give back from the money that they raised prudently in 2020, um, which I didn't understand at the time, but down at the sort of £3.30 level. And given the quality of earnings, they had recent uh, interim numbers, which were stonkingly good. Uh, And I would ask people to go and have a look at those and do their own uh, work on it. But I would expect him to beat expectation. He also, interestingly, since you mentioned it, uh, since I think about it, sorry, he, he had supply chain issues as well. And they talk about that. And it was printing. You know, the printing world has shrunk significantly, you know, in favour of digital. That's what Jim Mullen and, 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 uh, and David Montgomery realised they've got to do. They're transforming their business into the online digital world. And that's what Newton's done too, uh, you know, with the um, uh, educational academia business that they've got, you know, online, which has been a massive beneficiary for them in terms of COVID uh, with, the, with the group as a whole. So... Yeah, there's probably a stock I'll never sell. I, I, I actually started buying more in the late autumn. Bloomsbury always surprises me because they come out with brilliant results and everything firing on all cylinders. And the share price will spike up on the day and it always seems to come back. I don't know what's going on with the share price action there. Do you have a it's view a, it's on a, it's that? A narrow, it's, a, it's a good uh, observation. It's a narrow register. Uh, it's a niche, quirky uh, sort of stock market caps about just under 300 million I think net cash in the balance sheet though and will continue to accrue cash and and the the Bloomsbury management team will continue to make add-on acquisitions which will be earnings enhancing but generally speaking it's pretty much organic uh, it's got a great global footprint but I just think it's under the radar mm-hmm. and illiquidity within small cap 
you know, Andy Bruff was interesting, wasn't he? With your interview last week, well, it, you know, when the share price pushes ahead, we sell a few, and when it, you know, Andy Bruff's become a trader of sorts, hasn't he? <laughs> he can compete now, with you, Lenny. <laughs> but in fairness, he's brilliant at it. Um, he's got a very diversified list of stocks. I think he told us one time he had 240 odd stocks, but they're all having to do it because the market making fraternity that, you know, that I grew up with in the 90s, you know, with people like Smith Newcourt and BZW and, and Credit Lyonnais and, 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 and Horgavet, they've all disappeared. So capital out of the London market's disappeared. That is a real issue for, for, for investors to consider. Illiquidity that we're facing at the moment, which I touched on when we spoke in June, when you compare London's liquidity to New York or, or Europe is, is a real problem. And the regulators and the brokers are going to need to think about it. And rather stuffing us with overvalued IPOs, I strongly suggest the broking fraternity in the UK within the small cap, mid cap arena, start focusing on secondary. So your point on Bloomsbury is very well founded, but it's, it's, it's around those factors, somewhat of a limited register under the radar, you know, and, and fund managers not doing the work. It's probably a stock I will never sell now. You talked a little bit about inflation, um, supply, perhaps logistics issues continuing to plague us, a bit of COVID. So have you changed your investing criteria and what you're looking for? And what have you been buying to, to mitigate some of those risks? Uh, you know, ultimately, I'm a, I'm a stock picker. Um, I'm a bottom-up investor. But, I, you know, I've also looked at the macro scene, the top-down, um, clearly, you know, given the, the headwinds uh, in the second half around supply chains, around inflation and interest rates. It goes in that order, by the way, uh, to be fair. A lot of people, a lot of commentators are saying interest rates and inflation. Uh -uh. It's inflation, then interest rates. Um, and so there is a wall of fear to climb without question. There will be the fear and greed gauge going on. There will be other influences like liquidity. Um, there will be a corner in under the market. So let's think about the future um, around that point. Well, first of all, the first thing we've got to get over is a COVID uh, a variant that is very difficult to fully understand. Um, we know it's very, you know, con it's highly contagious with an R of over three. The data coming out of South Africa, however, you know, in terms of its severity, suggests to me that it's following the natural pattern of viruses and if you go back to the 1890s with the russian flu if you go back and look at the spanish flu the spanish flu experience i believe that we're coming into the end game and so my central view is that the real risk is the r number and the infection rates britain leads in the medical science and actually the nhs and i, I was very lucky I, I ended up then getting covid pneumonia and ended up in hospital and I saw the brilliance of our NHS and, and it's there, trust me. Um, but we've got to get over that first hurdle. And I never believed we'd have a hurdle as steep as that relative to my thoughts in the summer. You know, I said I thought we'd have hurdles, but my but crikey, you know, we've had a spanner thrown in the works here near term and probably, the, you know, the toolbox and the kitchen sink as well. Uh, but I think we will get through it. So, And that's what markets are telling us. Markets are also telling us, however, in my view, that they fear inflation more than COVID, more than this new variant. They 
absolutely uh, uh, you know somewhat complex with uh, the fed in the states that's been a u-turn transitory inflation hmm. wage inflation hmm. supply chain issues will thaw and that's a good thing um we've got a very cheap uk market we've got some technicals in there we touched on those you know, liquidity but that will thaw out so my principal direction is own good companies own companies that have got strong market positions pricing power decent balance sheets um, and more importantly have a valuation yardstick where i believe we can make money economic growth have these hurdles without doubt we, we've touched on them um, but I do believe we reopen through this COVID experience, supply chains release, and you get an infantry re rebuild, for example, which will be natural. That will take pressure off inflation, you know, relative to the point that that, 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 that transitory point that the policymakers have made. It will, um, although wage inflation for choice will be a lot stickier. Um, so I think we will still have a cyclical recovery, um, my timing on Synthoma was poor. My weighting in portfolio of Synthoma was poor. I'm probably going to get punched by my wife when she realises that. Now I've had to admit it. After all, I, I help run our pension monies. Um, but margins will still be under pressure. That's not good for corporate profits. Rising tax rates, as we will see in the UK on corporation tax, are not good for profits after tax, are not good for earnings. However, the UK is stupidly, and I say it more than once, stupidly cheap against its comparators. So the UK FTSE 12-ish times earnings, the mid-250, slightly more. And that's a really good yardstick because the S&P is on about 19 times, of which about 25, 30% of the S&P is technology-led, and that's on about 35 times. So sort of differentiate to find out the multiple of the S&P X, the technology stocks. We've got some great companies in the UK and I've been buying some AB Foods. I think it's an animal of a stock. Just open the report and accounts will go onto the website. Beautifully run. And, and, the, and the diamond in the rough is Primark for AB Foods. It's been completely and utterly derated. I've been buying some HomeServe, which uh, is, is led by a guy called Richard Harpin. Um, and he's in the school of the best of the best. Um, and again, it's been significantly derated. I started buying uh, home serve. I haven't bought a lot because I haven't had the opportunity to. And what I would really advise private investors to do, and something um, I've been doing, is, is I've been housekeeping my cash. I want to use my cash for the right reasons. Um, and, and yes, I did reduce Synthoma in, into that into that uh, analyst ch view uh, change of view and downgrade of of twenty percent below consensus, and, and and really to give me room. And I've been buying those stocks, and I've been adding now aggressively adding to Reach, as I mentioned earlier. So I have been doing some things, but I've not been as active as I historically have been. And what's your cash level at the moment, percentage? Um. Well, as I went into November, I was pretty much fully invested. Um, um, COVID frightened me. Uh, the COVID new strain frightened me. Um, but I, I wasn't going to get spun out like I did in, in the spring of, of, of 2020. We know, much so, we know so much more about this, uh, this, this horrible virus. And, and thankfully, to our, thank, thanks to our scientists and, and, and our NHS and the treatments, um, and more importantly, you know, the changes that we've seen post the, the, the vaccine 
discovery and the vaccination programs. And after all, there are antiviral drugs coming through as well from, from, from the pharmaceutical industry too. Huge you know, gains in terms of the opportunity there to handle the virus. And so I, I didn't panic uh, for choice, um, but I did reduce and the holding I reduced was Synthoma. And I've then added to a few uh, odds and stocks. So my normal cash balance is around 5% and my cash balance is today uh, around uh, 15 And do you wish it was higher? <laughs> In retrospect, yes, I do. Although, interestingly, the, the, the FTSE on, on a one-month view, um, pre the announcement of this, this COVID strain, uh, Omicron, um, ha- has hardly moved. I think it's down maybe 100 points or 60 points. Um, the SNP, you know, hit new highs um, in, in the last few days. Um, now it's tailing off at the moment. We're going to have to wait to what the Fed say. And like I say, the, 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 the market seem to me more concerned about monetary policy and inflation than they do this COVID variant. And I think that's what we need to face into the new year. Um, but I don't believe they're going to be as aggressive as they were in 2018. And I do believe you're going to get the ongoing economic recovery as we come through the other side of this virus in particular, um, although margin pressures are going to continue around wage inflation. And do you think we'll get a centre rally? There's a mild chance um, post-triple witching. Um, I'm going to hedge myself relative to, you know, the announcement out of the Fed tonight. Um, I've got a colleague that believes it's going to, there's going to be a, a Santa rally, uh, a Christmas rally, uh, Xmas rally, whatever you want to call it. I'm not convinced. And, and all I believe it will be in the UK in particular is just a markup. Um, so I would be careful on that. Um, I still go back to the premise of, of being concentrated in my portfolio holdings and owning good companies. Um, and, and, you know, I've learned a lot this year. I learned a lot last year. The great thing about investing is you don't stop learning. And if you think you're going to stop learning, just cash up and give it to Andy Bluff to manage. <laughs> and just before we leave you, that I know there were two new holdings that you've you've bought into that you think are well positioned for next year. What are they? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I sort of told you what I've been doing, um, and I've just dropped the pieces of paper. Um, the, the two holdings, uh, one is actually I've owned all year, actually. Um, I made a lot of money in the first half and, and, and uh, lost money through the second half, but I've still, I'm still up, net, net. Uh, and I'll, I'll touch on that uh, in a moment. The, the other one uh, that we've been buying uh, and are active in, um, and we... Uh, lost a lot of money here at Trium in it originally was an IPO um, and it warned. It warned in September, floated in May, uh, floated at £2.85, uh, I think. And, and the stock is Seraphine and it's maternity wear, both prenatal and antenatal, and then the accessories, etc., that go around it. And it warned in September, owing to supply chain issues. No surprise. And they, they sort of ran out of stock. And the reason they ran out of stock was because their first quarter, this is a, uh, a March year end, they sort of so- shot the lights out and, <clears throat> and used a lot of their stock to uh, satisfy that demand in their first quarter. Their second quarter, as a consequence to the end of September, they, were, they found it very difficult to replenish stock and they had to come to the market. Now, 
if you're a, 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 an IPO that's pretty richly, uh, this is profitable, by the way, if you come to the market with a, an, as an IPO, you need to make sure you hit numbers. And, and not only that, don't be overvalued. If you look at the IPOs across the globe, and in particular in the UK as well, they've been significantly overvalued. I'm not going to mention any names, but you, you know, go and do your own work. But, but Seraphine was one of them, and it was one of the first to warn, which was quite interesting. I mean, we gave management a hell of a time, um, you know, a really hard time. Uh, on the on the first call when we when we you know identified their problem because they put it on the screen, but the, in effect they couldn't replenish their stock. Incredibly efficient in terms of distribution, they outsource it all out of Antwerp, even to the point where one of their biggest markets is the US. Now that always interests me. About thirty percent of their business in the US. If you go and look at their recent trading update and their interims, although they warned on supply chain issues they made their new numbers at the entrance and more interestingly since then they've been able to uh, understand the technical issues of their supply chain they've improved their supply chain they've improved their supplier base and as we speak they are in the last eight weeks in the us alone they're up 81 percent why are they up 81 percent well because it's very niche you know in terms of in terms of the product and it's a it's a giftware type product as well. If if you've got a partner who's about to have a baby, you're going to be you know make sure she's 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 rightly uh, dressed in in a suitable manner. And and you're going to be with your the grandmother or the grandparents or, or or sisters or brothers or friends. The giftware side of maternity wear is outstanding. And on top of that, they are at the premium end of the market. They remind me of an early Ted Baker. Again, their real expertise is marketing and advertising and understanding the digital world. And the chief exec, he was schooled at ASOS in the early noughties. And ASOS was a brilliant story if you go and look at what the share price did, you know, from 10p to £75 at the peak. And he was one of the engineers, young engineers, that built that business from zero sales to a billion. Now, I don't have the same positiveness as I once did with ASOS in, in the early noughties. But he's building um, uh, Seraphine from a low base. It will do around 46, maybe 48 million of revenue this year. But it's it slipped up. Its ticker, interestingly, is bump. And what margins new. do they make? What sort of profit are you talking oh, well, about? Gross margins, gross margins of over 50%. Um, and interestingly, if you roll out the earnings numbers for uh, two years out, this stock's trading on 10 times earnings, um, EV EBITDA, and a PE of about 14. So, you know, it's not priced correctly. They're winning huge success in the US, taking real easy market share away from, funny enough, department stores and the like. There's no one in this premium uh, bracket they're still growing in, in the overseas markets elsewhere in the world, and they are global, 30% US, sort of 30% UK, and then Europe and, and the rest of the world, Asia. And they're a disruptor in a very niche product, warned, but actually have got on top of it. And you can see they got on top of it from their interim statement. And the US in the last eight weeks alone has grown 81%. Um, so it's a niche retailer, market cap about 90 million, and as a consequence, I'd probably weight it to about a third holding. I can't buy the shares. You know, I'm finding it, you know, we're finding it very difficult. But 
I think the share price will get back to £3 in the next sort of 12, 18 months. And I think it's a sort of a nice niche uh, product area. Um, it's a disruptor in a very weak marketplace where they can take market share. They've seen that in, in North America. They've entered, for example, Canada. It's cost them £30,000. You know, they, they got that money back in a week. Um, what's the second one? But the second one, I probably um, wait uh, in, a, in a much better way. Uh, I put real capital at work, and I have been. I've been buying this stock. I've owned it all year. I'll be brief. There's absolute cheapness here. It's a supply chain distributor, and, it, and it, it's UK GDP related. So I get the up, typical upside to the UK as we reopen. They're taking market share. They're doing all the right things. Investors can go and look at their interim numbers, which were excellent, and they reported recently in November. The stock is Wincanton. Um, extremely well managed. It's on a P of nine and a bit. Um, it reported numbers and it nearly hit four pounds a share. Today it's around three twenty, uh, three thirty-five. And so the illiquidity of the market, the sellers have pushed it down. There aren't buyers around. Uh, yields around three-ish percent, if not more. Um, balance sheet very strong, superbly well managed, taking market share. Oh, let's go and go and compare and contrast with the likes of Clipper or even someone similar to, um, um, oh, let me think. Oh, I know, Ocado. Now, they also do e-filament. They also invest in robotics. It's about 15%. It's a very broad-based offering. Go and have a look at the website. It's one of the best websites I've looked at for a long time. I, I really like the management team. Um, it, it's cheapest chips. Um, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. I, I concur with that. It's moving goods around, getting to getting them into the right place at the right time. Logistically, it runs an incredibly strong business, um, and it's very well diversified across all of its areas. It's just simply too cheap. Um, it also had a problem on uh, HGV drivers, but funny enough, managed it brilliantly. Why? Because it's got scale. Why? Because it's got a training area for, for, for drivers. So it really anticipated the need to, you know, to look at this and, it, and it's done it very well. So I just want to buy it because it's, it's, it offers real value and, and, and real upside in my view. Tremendous. And just very quickly, are we going to be up, down or flat on the FTSE 100 by this time next year? 7,400. Tremendous. Thank you very, very much indeed. That's up 300, if we're lucky. Thank you. Tremendous, Lenny. Thank you very much indeed. And to all our listeners, there's a library of over 100 interviews just like this with Richard, with other eminent investors. Do check them out at piworld.co.uk under the tab PI Wisdom. And to receive a notification of a video as they're published, go to the top right-hand corner. There's a subscribe button. Put in your details and you'll get a notification of a video as it's published and no spam. Many thanks for joining and stay well. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.